Hello everyone, welcome back to the Whitcomb Church Podcast. My name is Susanna and in this episode Robert is going to be looking at chapters 3 and 4 of the Romans. Thank you very much. Well, um, the last time we, we talked together was talking about the darkness without a Christmas. And now we come to spring and we come to a, a new life. And that's what chapters 3 verse 21 to the end of chapters 4 is about a new life a new life that jesus himself gives now in doing this paul the apostle talks in picture language in those days when people wrote they had to reduce their thoughts to a few lines and paul does that indeed in chapter 3 verse 21 to the end of the chapter is one of the shortest sections that deal with atonement and conversion and and realization that we can have a new life in christ but the picture language is quite extensive the first is a, a military picture language the military picture language in the institution we, we used to take place in the armies of rome and before that many other armies and in england of course we know about it that ended the 100 years war with france that's a bit of history for you and it was the bow and the arrow or the sling the entire army in order to succeed needed hundreds and hundreds of people who could use the bow and arrow and shoot their arrows over the, their own soldiers who had the swords and the spears and the shields and to hit the enemy and if they missed the target they call that sin they had sinned they hadn't hit the target they missed it and the Bible talks about, first of all, that we are all sinners. We've all missed the target. The Bible goes further and saying that we've just missed the target. We're saying we've come short of the target. We've not only missed it, we've come short of it. In other words, the lives that we live that are supposed to be godly lives are far short. It's not like I'm just nearly at the top and I've just missed it. I've just missed it by a second. The people who used to run the four-minute mile, as we remember, those of us who are older, they kept missing it by a few seconds. Didn't get there. Oh, no. Sin isn't missing it by a few seconds. Sin is not getting anywhere near it. We call short. That's what the meaning of the word short is there. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What can be done? Every one of us are in the same boat. Every one of us, mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, uh, have sinned. Are sinning. No matter how many arrows we f fly through the air, they miss the target and they come short of God's glory. But Paul gives us three other institutions of that time beside the ministry. The first one, which is something the Romans would have known about so clearly, is the slave market. And in the slave market, people were being sold every day. People, lives, if they wanted security, quite often sold themselves as slaves, because at least that would give them food and a shelter. Live miserable lives as slaves. And Paul says, ah, spiritually you like that. Spiritually, you're paralyzed. Spiritually, you have no authority. Spiritually, you can do nothing. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, redeemed you from slavery, if you want it, made it available. 
it was as if he was saying, it's come along and not on your door and said, do you want to be a slave in this house forever and ever? Or would you want to be free and secure and happy? That's what he's saying. The other thing the Jews would have known about was the slavery that used to belong when they were in Egypt a long, long time ago. And they would understand what it meant to be delivered from bondage and slavery. And Jesus says, I can deliver you from slavery. I can redeem you. I can buy you back. So that as if you were never sinned. There was a second uh, or third, if you wish, uh, institution that he makes reference, second one positively. And that went right back to the days of which we have of Moses. Moses, when they came out of Egypt, out of slavery, they had their tents all over the place, but there'd be one big tent, which they called the tabernacle. God, for them, lived in a tent for their benefit. He was in the world, of course, all over the place, but they wanted a presence of God, and they wanted it in their same houses that they lived in, a tent house, and that's what was provided, a tabernacle, a place where God could tabernacle amongst them. In the tabernacle, there was one place that only one person, once a year, would go to offer up a sacrifice for himself and for the sins of all his people. That was the Day of Atonement. We don't need to go into that now, but that's what lays behind this, because there's an important word that Paul uses that in the traditional translations of the Bible, it is still there. God has set forth Jesus as a propitiation or as the mercy seat for your sins. What does that mean? God set forth Jesus. It's not in secret like in the tabernacle. It's not once a year like in the tabernacle. It's there on a hill called Calvary, at the base of the hill, because that's where they did their crucifixions, where people passing by would see them. Calvary, the place of the skull, Golgotha, all the very names has the idea of dread. And God set forth Jesus as the sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, all you could see was ugliness, just like the world was before God worked on the world. It was ugly. It was void. It says of him, they couldn't recognize him. He was so badly beaten up. And, and he was empty. He was dying. It was in weakness that he died. In Philippians chapter 2, it says he emptied himself. And on the cross, there you see this dreadful, and he's saying, I'm doing it for you. I'm your mercy. I want to show you mercy. And the dying of Jesus was showing you mercy. But there's a, a third institution in his picture language that he gives to us, or if you wish, a fourth. In those days, not like today, but in those days, there was people who took people to court there and then. As soon as it was available, you didn't have to wait weeks or months, you went to court. And, and a judge, which would have been a local person in most cases, would have to make a judgment. And the judgment that he would make was, was you guilty or not guilty? 
And Paul says, the judge has said to you, you're not guilty, you're justified. It's as if you never sinned. Wait a moment, my sins, all my sins, my past, my present, my future sins, all of them, every one of them. Nothing that defileth will enter into heaven. When life is completed, you and all the weaknesses of you and sins of you, they will be disappeared altogether for all eternity. You will be justified for all eternity. Now, in the Romans, in this passage here, in the next passage, we notice four things. We're justified by the abundance of God's grace. We'll talk about that soon. We, we, we are justified by faith in God's grace. But we're also told we're justified by his blood on the cross. You see the pictures coming now. And we're also justified by his resurrected life. We have a fourfold justification. Did you know that? How secure can that be? And that's what Romans chapter 3, the second half of chapter 3 is about. Now, Paul wants to emphasize this faith concept. How can it be that faith can justify you? He says, you go back in history 2,000 years before Christ. And 2,000 years before Christ, there was a man called Abraham, and he was justified by his faith. He believed God. And because he believed God, something began to happen in his life. His life was changed, totally changed. Oh, absolutely, you would make mistakes. There would be many of them. He never went back to the earth of Chaldeas when he came from Babylon, but he did go back to Egypt two or three times and made big mistakes. Yes, he made mistakes. He was human like you are and like I am. But Paul is saying, Abraham believed in God and that was counted to him for righteousness. He then goes back 1,000 years before Christ, and that's David. And David was a good man, and in his heart wanted God, but he did some terrible, terrible things. He disobeyed by having so many wives and concubines, because he was a king. And the king of Israel was told he shouldn't do that. He's supposed to set an example. And his life found ruin again and again because of his family. He also got too much money, wealth, wealth can corrupt. He had so much money that when he died, he could put the money aside to buy all the material for uh, the most incredible temple that would be built. But he also committed murder, murder deliberate. A murder that meant he wrote a letter to make sure this particular person would die. Now, in those days, the culture was that people went to war and thousands of people died, but God only accused him of the deliberate murder. And yet he could say in Romans, taken from the Psalms, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities are taken away. It doesn't stop there. Having made that declaration, what then Paul says, let's go back to Abraham, 2,000 years BC. And 2,000 years BC, it says, and Abraham grew strong in faith. 
There was a growth going on. He made his mistakes, he learned from his mistakes, and he got stronger and stronger and stronger. So strong that he was eventually called the friend of God. They, they, they used to say of him that he was the servant of the Most High God, the creator of heaven and earth. Not just earth, but heaven itself. He was a friend of God. Now, you say that happened a thousand years before Christ. Yes, that's right. That happened 2,000 years before Christ. Yes, that's right. Both Abraham and David. But then Paul says, but not only for Abraham, but you Christians at Rome and you Christians in Bath, it's happened to you. You've had faith. It may, t it may have started off small. Quite often, faith does start off small. But you believe in God, and you believe in Jesus, and you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins, and faith can grow. Isn't that wonderful? Faith can grow in you just like it did with them. In other words, chapter 4 is belonging to the family of God, the people of faith. Thank you.